Are you ready for another lineup of incredible stories about lawyers and the trials they face inside and outside the courtroom? In our season three lineup of Lawful Good, we have not held back as we collected powerful tales from remarkable people. You'll hear inspiring stories from attorneys like Chris Seeger and Jae Yeon Jung. And that's what I always tell law students, like, don't expect somebody to hand something to you. I know there's a lot of talk today about, oh, you got to bring young people in. And yeah, you do. We do have to find ways to integrate, to get a lot more people involved. But people have to have the attitude. They want to do that. Yeah. Like they got to go prove themselves yeah. because it's about your client. You know, it's great. At the end of the day, there are clients on the other end of these cases. But I think that there's a lot of people who come to this country as immigrants thinking that it's always about how hard you work and always about merit and it's not it's it's not because there is so much within our systems and in our institutions and in our history that has never been about merit it endures to not be a merit about merit i see how much the color of your skin purely just the color of your skin can affect how you live and breathe yeah. and go through this world and through this country and and not just you know the darkest alleys of the southern you know plantations that it's not just kind of this historical view there's definitely current trends that are still unfortunately endure in this country and so as a civil rights attorney i think and as an immigrant i see that how the death of loved ones deeply impacted their trajectories with Julia Metz, Paul Bland, and Mike Morse. And at that point, you know, I had never experienced, like my, my mother battled depression, right? Um, and, and people in, in her family had, and I, I've seen it, but it, in my mind at this point, it was like, there's nothing I can't fix. Like I had never failed at anything. Like, so in my mind, I'm like, all right, cool. Like if I'm keeping you alive, we, let, let's keep you alive. Let's get this done. Yeah. Um, and then so it was like, that. that's fine, right? Like, like we can live in the same space, we can raise the kids, we can do whatever, like, like we will find a way to have like separate houses or to do these things, right? And then so I started dating someone else. Mm -hmm. um, and then within six or eight months of that, she's dead. And I remember, it's like one of the last conversations we had, she was um, going to her doctor's house. And she's like, I'm gonna lose you in this process. And, and I said, you know, better to lose me than to lose yourself. Right? Like, like I will always be here and I will always love you. And if we are supposed to be together, then like this will always all work out. But like, heal you, right? Like, learn how to tell your family that it's it's not that you're in love with me. It's, it's that you're gay, right? And I happen to be the person that you love. I think that the thing from my childhood that really shaped me was um, the death of my dad. I was sitting in second grade and the principal comes to the classroom, which in and of itself is news, because like, why is the principal in your class? It hardly ever happens. And the, they call me out, and they told me that my godparents were there. So I'm thinking, well, this is going to be good. You know, my godparents are coming and getting me. I'm used to them giving me stuff and whatnot. So I go with them, get in their car, and then they tell me that my dad had died. And anyhow, so my godparents are driving me home, and I start becoming aware that there is a bunch of chaos outside. And there actually, there's smoke in the air, there's some sirens, there's some military vehicles on the streets and so forth. And so what turned out had happened was that by some whatever coincidence, my dad's death was very close in time to the day that Martin Luther King was murdered. And I think that one of the things that I sort of took away from this was 
you know, I think it's a cliche that you're supposed to live each day as if it was your last day and that you should, you know, try to seize the moment because you never know what's going to happen next. That was sort of a vivid idea to me. Like, you know, this idea that somebody is just there one day and suddenly gone was something that took really strongly and sort of the, the chaos that went with that, I think really sort of hammered that home. There was a few days there where I thought about not finishing my exams and saying, screw it to law school. Yeah. The reason I became a lawyer or was becoming a lawyer is because of the man who just died at 49 years old. One of my law school professors was such a jerk, he made me take a final within 48 hours after his passing. Wow. And uh, I did. And I said, you know what? My dad would have wanted me to go on, not waste this. I don't have anything else to do. I got a new job a week later. I started a, a clerkship my first year in law school. And I, you know, went on and I graduated with honors and moved on. But, you know, the, it changed everything. I could go on and on and on about what it changed, but it uh, changed the rest of my life, including today. Experiencing prejudice and discrimination after 9-11, but never letting other people's perceptions hold them back from achieving their goals with Priya Murad and Ali Awad. I was in the seventh grade, and I mean, the things that students would say to us, and even my Indian friends, I mean, it was, it became like an absurd thing where it was like, they're not even, you guys, like, it's not even related. Like, let the Indians go on this one, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I think, but it was really mainly out of like fear and ignorance. And I think that everyone went through that. Yeah, I remember in fifth grade, sitting in Mr. Gazaway's class, and all of the TVs are on, showing the Twin Towers and showing everything that's happening. And one kid just yelled out, Hey, Ali, why are your uncles killing us? And, you know, I thought, me being the nerd that I was, like, well, first of all, they're saying these people are from Afghanistan and I'm from Palestine, so you need a lesson in geography or what's the... But I realized this was just a racial slur to show that, hey, those people look different and your people look different in a sort of similar way, so I'm going to attribute this heinous act with your people. Things just were never the same after that. How their belief in themselves resulted in accomplishing what others might find impossible with Randy McGinn and Mary Lehman. You don't have any choice over when you take the bar exam. They give it twice a year and you've got to be there on that day or else you have to wait another six months to take it. So they set the bar exam and my daughter just happened to be due the first day of the bar exam. And luckily, and she had always, always had impeccable timing, came the day before the bar exam and was born at 10 o'clock, the Sunday before the three-day bar exam started on Monday. And the good part was, she, she yeah. you know, this is the only child I gave birth to. She was only a four-hour labor, so she popped out. Okay. And then I yep. said, people, I've got to study. They kept taking my books away from me in the hospital and said, no, no, you've got to rest. You've got to... I said, no, no, I've got an exam tomorrow. My mom was living in New Mexico at that time and came up to Albuquerque. And she watched her during the daytime while I went and took the bar exam sitting on great big pillows. I wanted to run the saw. That's like yeah. the highest level on okay. the hot shot. Uh -huh. I was running the saw. And, you know, I could run a saw and I learned how they, I learned how to run a saw when we were just at home thinning the forest and stuff like that. But to run the saw on the line, that was like huge. Mm -hmm. And there was a rule that basically, you know, if you, you run the saw, you carry the saw. And we were on a fire in California and it was so hot that 
half our crew or more had heat stroke and like just had to drop oh, off and you know go back to base camp and luckily at I when I we were in camp I had put salt packets in my pocket and I knew from being an EMT you know that would be good to take so I was taking the salt and we were it was so hot and we were climbing up this hill and there were probably like six or seven of us the only ones left out of a 20 person crew and no one could carry the saw mm. and I'm like me me I can do it I <laughs> yeah, can do yeah. it let me carry the saw this is my big opportunity and I did triumphing over addiction to become the best version of themselves with Brian Cuban and James Helm. I remember, I may have wrote about this uh, or not, but uh, it was one event, it was the grand opening of a hotel in uh, of a hotel across the American Airlines Center. And it was a bar, the Ghost Bar. It was the grand opening of the Ghost Bar in Dallas. And because the hotel was owned by the same people who at the time owned the Sacramento Kings, the Maloof. And I was friends with, uh, at the Palms Hotel, the Maloof's owned in Vegas, uh, a guy named Jimmy Tipton. I got invited to this grand opening. And they had this, uh, they had a musical group playing there. I forget who it was. They were playing the grand opening. But uh, I sat at this table. So Mark was there. My dad was there. The Maloofs were sitting at this table. My younger brother sitting at this table. I'm trashed and coked up. And I had all my money wadded up in this in my pocket. It wasn't folded. And somewhere in there was a baggie of cocaine. And so the waitress gives me another drink. I go to tip her. And I'm pulling out this wad. And boop, my baggie of blow drops right on the floor, right at my dad's feet. You know, it was really sad. I was um, somebody who couldn't seem to figure it out. That, that year... When I moved back from Penn State, that was by far and away the hardest year of my life. I was no longer at the party. I thought that there was this light switch that I would flip and I would come back and be this successful person. And I got home to my parents' house and I realized, oh my God, I'm this person with these terrible habits that is addicted to drugs and doesn't care about much of anything. and. It put me into a pretty big depression. I I would come home from that job that I hated every day and drink beers in the basement and take drugs. And um, definitely my hardest and probably saddest year. I, I got very overweight at that time. Um, I couldn't really look myself in the mirror. It was close to bottom for me. Join us as we take another epic journey across America to meet extraordinary, ordinary people with a JD who are changing the world. I'm your host, Luke W. Russell, and I am honored and excited to present season three of Lawful Good.